0: Welcome to Transparency with Diana B, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well being and healing. In this podcast, we explore some of the deepest struggles and hardships that many advisors face and bring these issues out into the open so that others may find healing. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to overcome the stresses and anxieties as Diana draws from years of expertise and guest experts to manage the personal challenges of advisors.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Transparency with Diana B. So let's start with the obvious. There's nothing wrong with your audio. I am not Diana. My name is David Lenick, and I'm the Senior Wealth Planning Editor at WealthManagement.com, and I host the Celebrity Estates Wheels of the Rich and Famous podcast. Diana's on a brief sabbatical, so I'm filling in as host today. But Don't worry, she's just fine, and she'll be back hosting the show as normal in the next installment. But for now, you're stuck with me. For those of you who are new to the podcast, in addition to usually featuring the namesake host, each episode focuses on a personal development issue facing advisors. Our guests talk about their journeys, dealing with the struggle, and how they found healing. My guest today is Craig Hirsch. Craig is a Florida Bar board-certified wills, trusts, and estates attorney. He's practiced since 1989. He's also licensed as a Florida CPA and is a founding shareholder and director of a private state chartered trust company. His varied background in law, accounting, tax, and finance, along with his participation in Dan Sullivan's strategic coach program since 2005, provides him unique insights and the capabilities necessary to multiply his practice. He hosts three podcast series geared to estate planning professionals, clients, and trust administrators, and he writes a weekly estate planning column for a local newspaper, and presents as a featured lecturer at continuing education programs sponsored by the Florida Bar, the Florida Institute of Certified Public Accountants, and the National Business Institute. In his spare time, Craig enjoys adventure travel, training for and competing in triathlons, including Ironman distance races, boating the Southwest Florida waterways, which may seem like random factoids, but are surprisingly relevant to the story he's going to share with us today. Thanks for being here, Craig.
2: Oh, thank you.
1: Craig's story involves the surprise discovery of a deadly cardiac issue and how that turned his life and his practice upside down. So, Craig, when did you first start suspecting that something may be awry?
2: Well... I probably should have suspected earlier than I did. I was having buzzing feelings in my arm when I sat down. I would get short of breath unusually when I normally don't. I wouldn't be able to keep up with the bike rides. You know, I, I do probably 50, 60 mile rides on the weekends with, with, the, with my groups. I, I was having trouble keeping up when before I had no trouble at all. And I just attributed it all to um, getting a little older. I was in my I'm in my mid fifties now, and when this event happened, I was fifty five.
1: And so we keep referring to it as an event. Let's uh, just dispense with, <laughs> with the niceties and let's talk about exactly what happened to you.
2: Well, yeah, I was actually swimming with my triathlon club. Well, let me back up. This is on a Wednesday. I was in the office and earlier in the day, I, I'd actually I did a some circuit training with the trainer that I have. And I just wasn't feeling quite right, and I stopped a few times, and he asked me, is there something wrong? And you know, I had some you know, kind of like a reflux type of feeling in my chest and some tightness, and I said no, and I powered through it, and I finished the workout. And then later in the day, I'm in my office. I'm an attorney. As he said, I'm a Will's Trust and Estates attorney. Uh, I'm now the senior partner in my office. You know, we were discussing a problem client. Me, I was discussing a problem client with one of my law partners. And suddenly, I felt jaw pain in my, in, in my right jaw. And I knew that this was a symptom of a heart attack. Yet, this can't be happening to me. I'm not having a heart attack. I'm 55 years old. I just did a half Ironman triathlon several months ago. I mean, come on. So I sat down in my office. You know, My, my, my team came into my office with me, and I, and I sat down. And, and they said, why don't we call the hospital? And I, and, and I had, this is before COVID. So I had visions of, you know, an ambulance coming up to the door and me being carted out on a stretcher. And, you know, <laughs> I just, I want, you know, clients in the waiting room. And, and I just, I just, Dave, I couldn't do it. You know, I, I just wasn't going to call 911. Uh, and I said, well, let me let me just relax for a few minutes and see if the feeling goes away. And it did. And I call my wife, who's, who's, who's urging me, let's go to the emergency room. And I say, no, no, I, th- I think it was just a panic attack. I'm fine. Later that evening, so after work, we have triathlon swim club. So we go to the swim practice. I go to the swim practice. It's usually about a 3,000 yard set. You know, we start with warm ups and we do drills, and then you do maybe a main set of like two 1,000 yard sets or something and cool down. But, but anyway, so I'm 850 yards into the set, and suddenly I feel like my chest is collapsing on me. And I'm a pretty good swimmer. You know, I swam since high school. I was on the high school swim team. You know, I've, I at that point, I'd done three Ironman triathlons where you do 2.4-mile ocean swims. In any event, so I feel like my chest is collapsing on me, so I get out of the pool, and I'm sitting on the On the side of the pool and 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 my coach comes up to me and asks what's going on and i tell her and she goes we better you better go to the emergency room still resistant (laughs) i said i don't think so and and she gets she pulls a nurse there's a nurse in my in my club who and she pulls her out of the water and has her talk to me so then i finally agree i'm gonna go home and then i'll go go to the hospital i went home And I tell my wife, and she goes, okay, let's go. And I was wet, and I can imagine myself sitting in a cold emergency room. I I just imagine sitting there all night. I said, well, let me shower. So I showered. I put on some sweats. I actually ate a little bit of chicken because I hadn't eaten all day. I took some chicken out of the fridge. (laughs) And my wife's urging me, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then we went to the hospital. So that's, that's the beginning of it, Dave.
1: It's so amazing. First of all, I think it's, I mean, I, for lack of a better term, hilarious that, that you did more exercise while mid heart attack than most advisors do in a month.
2: <laughs> Luckily, when I got to the emergency room, it turned out that, that the first thing they do when you complain of chest pain is they whisk you back and they do an EKG and they take some blood. And lo and behold, I, I hadn't had a heart attack. Now that I'm not a critical patient, I'm, I'm sitting in a bed and my wife's in a chair next to me, and, and the emergency room was just jam-packed. I'm in this, in this bed r- more or less all night because I got there, let's say, probably around 8 o'clock in the evening. I was there till maybe 7 in the morning finally a cardiologist came, and she said, well, we're not going to put you on a, on a, in a stress test on a treadmill. She was afraid what would happen to me after I described what had happened that day. So she said, we're going to go straight to a heart cath. Dave, do you know what a heart catheterization is? No, I don't. Okay, so it's a test where they, they either have to go through your groin, or in my case, thankfully, they went through my wrist, and they, they, they insert an instrument, and they, they, they snake it all the way up to your arteries and your heart, and they're taking pictures looking to see what's going on. So they have to they have to put you under mild anesthesia for this. They, they did. They they got me ready for surgery, so to speak. It's not really a surgical procedure, I guess, but it's a procedure. They actually have to put you out. So I'm in this cold cold operating room and in walks a guy that I know, a cardiologist that, that's a client and, and somebody that I know. And we're joking around. He puts me out. And then momentarily, it seems, I'm sure it was several minutes, I wake up. He looks at me. His name's Jeff. And he said, Craig, we have to talk. My reply was, uh, Jeff, no good words are, are said after those. <laughs> I said, okay, well, give give me the scoop. He says, well, I couldn't fix those with stents. And I go, those with stents. You know, remember, Jeff, I'm not a doctor here. What are you talking about? He goes, well, he goes, you know, we we went in, and if, if we're able to fix it with a stent, open it up, the, the artery, we can do that. I said, well, what? What exactly are you talking about? What, it, what, what do we need to do here? He goes, he goes, buddy, you need a triple bypass, maybe a quadruple. That was my life-changing moment.
1: You have this operation. How long are you out of commission for before you're dealing with clients again?
2: If you want the whole story, I hadn't actually... Okay, now it's, it's, it's right before Labor Day weekend. And they have to put me in an ambulance and take me to another hospital where they do cardiothoracic surgeries. And I meet with the surgeon who I also know, who's also a friend and a client. He says, well, we can't do it now because I'm booked up for tomorrow, which tomorrow was already Friday. And we had Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Monday was Labor Day. He goes, we can, we can do it Tuesday. And I said, well, what happens between now and then? I go, can I just go home? He goes, no, no, you can't go home. I go, why not? He goes, because you could drop dead. I go, what do you mean I could drop dead? I said, I just... Rode my bike 60 miles last weekend. I was, I was swimming 800 yards when I had this. He says, he goes, Craig, your Widowmaker, I guess it's called, is blocked 90%. Then there's two other arteries blocked similarly. He goes, we're not letting you go anywhere. You're going to be on uh, nitro all weekend, which is this medicine they put. They, they used a cream on me. It's a patch and opened up my arteries, but it also gives you a splitting headache. So here I was in the hospital until Tuesday waiting for the surgery and as it turns out, Tuesday was my thirtieth wedding anniversary date. And my wife and I were supposed to be going to Italy and to uh Croatia for a backroads bicycling trip with other friends. That's that's the lead up to the surgery.
1: And so once you have the procedure itself, how long are you out of commission for?
2: Yeah, uh well I had the procedure that Tuesday. And I was more or less out of the office until I should—I shouldn't have come back as soon as I did, but I was out of the office for three and a half weeks. So, Craig, after
1: you have your procedure, how long are you out of commission for?
2: The procedures—they—they, they, you know—they cut open your chest and reroute your arteries, and they took a a vein out of my leg and sewed it into my heart. Anybody who knows about a a bypass surgery knows it's a pretty extensive surgery. But me, being me. I was, I was only out of the office about three and a half weeks. My office actually had to cut me off. They, <laughs> I started looking online and, and trying to answer emails, and they figured out that I was doing that. So they, they cut off my access to our server in the office from my home, but then I figured out an end around because we have Microsoft 365. <laughs> and then they, they started seeing me respond emails that way, so then they changed my whole password so I couldn't get on. And I guess that's part of the problem is why I ended up in the OR to begin with is because I'm I'm probably too, wound a little too tight. Yeah, I was out for about three and a half weeks and then I insisted on coming back in. I just couldn't stand it anymore, staying at, staying at home. I think a lot of
1: advisors can sympathize with that idea. You know, once you're out of the office for that long, the complete loss of control, it can be uh, very jarring. But when you came back, was it just uh, business as usual or did you have to make changes?
2: My cardiologist... Fort Myers is kind of a small town, so, you know, I know a lot of people, and (laughs) my cardiologist is also a friend and client. He had a long talk with me when I was recovering and said, Craig, you know, this is really mostly from genetics and stress. Three of my four grandparents died of heart disease. My parents didn't. My mom died of leukemia four years ago. My dad, though, he's 80 years old now, and he's healthy as a horse. He didn't need a pacemaker recently, but he has no cholesterol issues. He has no heart issues other than the pacemaker. Skipped a generation, landed on me. But my cardiologist said, Craig, you know, you you really got to cut out the stress. When I came back to the office, I probably wasn't effective for another month or two, but I was here, and I was kind of directing things. But I'll tell you, the first thing I did was make a list of 10 clients who caused me a lot of problems. And I asked them to go to another firm. I asked them to go elsewhere. Told them that we would no longer do their work. And some of them were were pretty good clients as far as revenue. One was shocked. He said, well, why are you doing this? And I said, I'll just call him John here. I said, well, John, you know, nothing I do is... Good enough or fast enough for you. And and it just seems anything that I do, you just seem to have complaints about. You complain about the billings, you complain about the timing of the work, you complain about whether the work is really what you wanted, even after we extensively discuss it. And I said, you know, I think you'd best be served elsewhere. And and you know what his response to me was, David? You'll never believe his response. What was that? <laughs> it was basically, well, I just did that to keep you on your toes honestly.
1: That's what he said. Some people, everyone says they want brutal honesty, but then when they get it, it's
2: like, <laughs> I do care for what you wish for. Yeah, I mean, this guy, I said, to keep me on my toes, I said, I said, John, it's, it's that and other people like you that landed me in the OR getting my chest sawed open. I was on a heart-lung machine for three, four hours while they rerouted my my arteries, my, 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 my plumbing inside my chest. And I said, I said to keep me on my toes? He, he actually begged me to to keep him on, and and, he, and after that especially, <laughs> I said, no sir, no sir.
1: So that, and that's really you know the interesting thing we want to talk about, this idea of you know, triaging your client list for the sake of your own health. So did you leave it at the 10 clients, or, or was this a precursor to sort of a larger batch of changes?
2: Well, that, that, that was just the beginning. I probably purged another 15 or so. The other thing I did was I'm much more, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I have a very busy practice. My firm has been around. It's been in Fort Myers. It's a boutique estate planning office, but it's been around almost 100 years. I've been here 29 years now. We're blessed with a very healthy client base. Acquiring clients is not a problem for us. What I decided to do from this point forward is be very, very selective about who I work for. And and the other thing I did was we're hiring more lawyers for me to delegate to. We've hired more staff. So, you know, we're going to intentionally remain small. But I am not going to work at the pace that I was up until that point. So,
1: interestingly, you mentioned um, you're sort of vetting your client's differently, let's say. Do you have sort of a, an official way that you do that now? Is there a sort of a set of guidelines that you've created or is it just
2: sort of by feel? Well, we, we always did. And in fact, I have a whole process. I teach that process in my, in my freedom practice consulting business where I help other estate planning attorneys from around the country. But what my process used to be was they had to do three things, which was get us a copy of their existing documents. They had to fill out a client organizer and they had to either attend one of our workshops or view an online version of it and we would spend an hour with them for free and we changed that now none no one sees an attorney without spending f- at least four hundred dollars on that initial on that initial consultation and and you know what we haven't lost any prospects <laughs> maybe a couple yeah, but they're probably they're probably people who wouldn't have signed up to begin with.
1: So a little bit of buy-in really makes a big difference you know, straight up front.
2: Yeah, and and we always had this client intake process. The reason we do it is because we want to see if there are legitimate potential clients for us. For example, somebody who just needs a simple will, they don't have to see me. They could see one of our associate attorneys, sometimes even a paralegal if it's really simple. So it's a vetting process, but we've gotten a lot more detailed, a lot more strict in how we bring clients in now. And, and that's a product of me trying my best to scale things back a little bit.
1: This idea of scaling back. I mean, it's one thing to say, Oh, you know, I cut what 20 clients. It sounds like that's not so easy. Um, what was some of your, your, what were some of the struggles you experienced in sort of actually it's one thing to conceive a bit and to overcome the mental hurdle of doing it. And then it's another thing entirely to actually like, okay, this is happening.
2: I'll give you the scope of it right now. For example, in our little boutique office, we have a client care program. We have more than 800 families in our client care program. Right now we have something like 200 active estate planning files and we have another 250 ongoing trust and probate administrations. So that's a scope of a you know, and again, we're just a little boutique firm. Scaling back is all relative. <laughs> From my point, it's it's scaling back what I'm doing. And only using, let's say, my talents or my abilities to their highest and best use. And if it's if it's not using my highest and best use, I'm I'm someone else is typically doing it. For example, drafting. I, I never enjoy drafting documents. I, I, I can edit them, of course, and I can suggest different provisions that we want to put in them, but I'm no longer drafting. And I haven't been, by the way, for a while, even before the the surgery, but even more so now, I'm, I'm, I'm doing less. Now,
1: this is, I think, a really interesting concept to unpack also, because I think a lot of times with advisors and, and attorneys, it's a lot of focus on how can I better serve my clients? How can I better serve my clients? And there's not nearly enough attention paid to well, how can I better serve myself? And by better serving myself, then I will better serve my clients. Like you just said, you're, you're doing this drafting that you hated. So it's entirely possible and like probably likely that someone who enjoys it more that you've delegated not to is
2: going to do a better job. Yeah, exactly. You, you mentioned at the beginning in my biography that, that I, a product of Dan Sullivan strategic coach program. Let me give you a little story about when I first started it, when I first started strategic coach, now it's like 16, 17 years ago. I was down the dumps. I felt like I'm working too hard to make the kind of money that I'm making. Uh, I made good money, but I figured I can make it the same kind of money elsewhere by not working as hard. And I was complaining to a colleague. His name is Alan Gassman. Many of you may know Alan. He's a prolific writer. He's a great estate planning attorney in Clearwater. He he writes a lot for uh, Lineberg Information Services, Lissy. Yeah. And oh, that uh, an understatement for Alan. Yeah, you know Alan. So uh, Alan said, try strategic coach. And I said, oh, it's a kumbaya. You know, everybody hold hands and sings. And then you go back to the office and everything's the same. He goes, no, just try it, Craig. So I did. And I'm at my first class. It's with Dan Sullivan. It's fairly expensive. Dan looks at me and says, "Why are you here?" Well, if the clients would only just leave me alone, I could get their documents drafted. <laughs> you know, they just keep they just keep calling. "Where's my documents? Where's my documents?" and I said, "Just leave me alone. I'll get them done." And Dan listens to me patiently whine about that for a little while. And then he then he asked me two questions that really changed the way that I started to do things and 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 that resonate even more with me now. And that first question was, "Why are you spending all the time on the commodity of your practice. I thought for a moment, I said, what do you mean the commodity of practice? My documents are the most important thing that I do. If the documents aren't right, the plan's not right, and so forth and so on. He listened patiently again to me, ranting about my documents. And then the next question is one that really got me. And he asked me this. He said, Craig, he goes, do you think your clients know the difference between your documents And your competition down the street i thought for a minute and i thought you know he's right (laughs) they don't he said your documents are probably better than the guy down the street you know you're board certified you have all this training you've been doing this exclusively for all these years he goes but do you think it's really the documents that your clients are after and i realized what he was saying was right no i mean of course the documents have to be good Coming up with innovative strategies and working on very innovative documents and for example, you know that's why I love Trust and States magazine because it it has all the, the newest and, and best ideas and strategies to use as, as you know David, I'm on the editorial advisory board for trust and States. of course, you know the documents and the technical part of the practice is very important. but Dan got me focused on what's most important, which is the interfacing with the clients, is providing them comfort and clarity. When you look at those sorts of things, and and again, I, I took another hard look at that when I had my heart surgery, I realized I just need to focus on really one thing. That's client acquisition and making the clients, innovating the plan that they need to provide them comfort and clarity. So more and more, that's all I do.
1: Interesting. And have you found uh, that this is successful? I assume that since you're still doing it, it it's worked well for you. But, but has, has it gone well?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone reasonably well. But now, of course, here's what happens. Um, I'm trying to cut out the stress. I'm trying to reduce my workload and my stress. And remember, my surgery was in September of 2019. What happens in March of 2020? covid <laughs> so COVID, of course, and, and, and all of its related issues probably set me back in my, uh, in my quest to reduce stress by, 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 a little, by a little bit, let's say here. I also had to fire an associate attorney who wasn't working out. He just, he just wasn't doing his job. So I had to fire this attorney, and, and I, I, I had to take some things back onto my, my plate that I normally don't have to take onto my plate but we're working through it, and hopefully, COVID will be something in in the history books in the in the coming months. But it, it hasn't been easy.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's another way to think about it, though, is I mean, COVID is something that's completely out of our control, right? And if you hadn't done this downsizing already, then you still would have had to find this attorney, probably, and you still would have ended up with even more on your plate. So, in a certain way. It's, it's very good that, you know, COVID you can't do anything about, basically. You're taking care of the parts that you can't take care of.
2: Right. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You know, I'm not the only one affected by COVID, obviously. Everybody in the country is. Actually, everybody in the world, as it turns out. Yeah, you know what I was doing, David, in, the, in a couple of the years leading up to this incident, I started taking the month of July off because I'm in Fort Myers, Florida. A lot of my clients are seasonal, meaning that they have residences up north somewhere. New York, Illinois. Michigan, wherever. So I usually got a couple months break. July and August was, was usually July, August, September. It might have been a little slower. So I started taking the month of July off. But since COVID, all my clients discovered Zoom and they discovered that they could see me no matter where they are. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh <boy. laughs> so there's a curse and a blessing in COVID. And I didn't take all of July off this year, but I did take two, two weeks off at a time. I'm trying to take more time off. I'm I'm actually getting serious about buying a second residence somewhere in the mountains. I might start working from the mountains in the summertime and not actually being in the office, especially now that clients are more familiar with video conferencing. I still ha- I have a daughter who's getting married. Uh, she's engaged. I have two other daughters who are still in school. One's in the graduate program at University of Florida, the physical therapy school. And the other one is an undergraduate and she wants to go to dental school. So I have a lot of family obligations. I feel very blessed. You know, I have great kids. Uh, my wife and I have been happily married 31 years. You have to look at the positive and then you have to figure out what, it, what is it that you can do to reduce your stress and, and lead a happier work life. That's about all the time we
1: have here, Craig. I'd like to thank our guest, Craig Hurst, for being on the show and sharing his story. Uh, thanks so much, Craig. Sure. Thank you. And uh, if you yourself have a struggle and you want to share your experiences and perhaps help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to us at transparencywithdianaB at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to the show. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is not Diana Britton, but I'm nonetheless reminding you that where there's healing, there's hope. We'll see you next
0: time. Thank you for listening to the Transparency with Diana B podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding your particular situation.